here we are. Welcome into Undercurrents. I'm Benji Block. Thanks for checking this out. Today on the podcast, I talked to Dr. Tommy White Bryan, who is an author, and she has also created a number of resources for organizations. She has emotional intelligence guides for uh, someone trying to go on a personal journey. She's created TommyLama.com, which is this 10-step sort of process to, to get you on a journey towards happiness. And this is not the first or the second time I've spoken with Tommy. This is actually number three. And uh, we originally connected over that book that I mentioned when she released Emotional Intelligence 3.0. I've been obsessed with core values, with virtues recently. What's the place that we live from? What do we filter our decision-making through? And this comes from in many ways, my personal journey, this shattering of identity over the last few years, rethinking things, unpacking what my true nature is. And so all that to say, I like to talk on these topics to go at the why. And I figured this would be just not only just an interesting conversation with someone who's well-versed in it, but there's a humility here. There's an uh, ability to be vulnerable. And I, I obviously, I really appreciate that. So without further ado, let's jump in. Here's my full conversation with Dr. Tommy White Bryan. How about this? I want to start with a story and I'll just give some vulnerability on the podcast right from the get go. And then we can riff after that because I have a laundry list of questions around core values and just some of the stage that I find myself in. And I find myself in conversations nerding out around a lot of the work that even you are doing. So I want to get there. Uh, Here's what got me interested originally in all of this stuff, Tommy. So basically, if you go back in my timeline and my story, When I'm four years old, my family moves overseas. So we go to Kenya. My dad is a pastor. He's the principal of a Bible school. You make a joke on your website about being seven years old. And what is it? Like you were essentially a receptionist. Yeah, (laughs) my dad's office. Yes, yes. (laughs) And that made me laugh because I'm thinking Benji as a kid is probably preaching any moment, you know, standing on a stage somewhere, being a pastor from the youngest of ages and just watching and taking that in. Okay. So once I graduate high school, well, even to put it in context, high school, I homeschooled myself my senior year. So I could go back to Kenya and do work in the slums and school and water projects and was super involved in like church stuff. Okay. Then I go and help start a church in Texas, which is somewhere I said I would never live. And for six years, we go from like 12 people in a living room to 600, you know, and where there's a lot of growth and there's all these things that kind of happen in that, that stage. So 2020 comes along and right before COVID, three weeks before COVID, the church that I had been at, uh, we make an announcement that was like a year plus in the making that we were going to go against our denomination stance on LGBTQ inclusion. And that essentially is like dropping a bomb in that community. Now, if you don't go to church, that might just be like, why is that even a starter? Right? Why are we even arguing about this? Right. In that denomination, it was everything. And so for someone that was as baked in church as I was, 
there was like this bomb that goes off and no one knew we knew COVID was in China, but we didn't know COVID was coming here. And so three weeks pass, I'm slated to speak this Sunday that COVID hits and I speak. And then it's like, everything went dead silent. So the way I describe it is like, I got punched in the face with all of this church stuff, people calling calling us heretics. I was managing social media. I have 150 screenshots still saved in my Dropbox somewhere of mm. all the just nasty, hate, crazy, crazy crap. Mm. So I say all that to say where we are now and why I'm telling you this is I look at this podcast as my growth mechanism because I've had to process so much in the last two, three years to just go, who the hell am I? <laughs> like, what is all of this? And yeah. you use this phrase, locate yourself, then grow. And the biggest realization I think I've had in the last three years is because of, and, and I honor my, the past versions of myself. Like that's right. a huge part in this process. Right. Right. But there's, there was an inability to locate myself mm. that I'm having to deal with what do I actually think? What, what agency do I actually have? Where, what's my perspective and being okay with it when it's different from what other people's was. So the phrasing that you use, locate yourself and then grow has just resonated very deeply and been a felt thing over Mm -hmm. the last few years. So I know that's a very long-winded story, Tommy, but that is <laughs> yeah, why so, I invited you here. <laughs> well, I love it because, um, you know, this is, you know, people, and, and uh, Brene Brown is the one who started this. She, she says, people, we can't create safe spaces because we don't know what it takes for safety for others, but we can create brave spaces. Mm where people feel okay to show up and be authentic. And so Benji, uh, I love you. You just threw down the gauntlet. This is going to be a brave space where we're going to be authentic and get into it. Yeah. So that, that that being said, yeah. So there's that being said, there's two things that you said. So first of all, uh, whenever you tell the universe, I'm not going to do that. The first thing the universe is going to do is prove you wrong. Right. You, you were talking about that, right. That, you know, and when, when you said that, I thought, Oh, I wonder how the universe showed up and said, well, Benji, we have a different story for you. Mm. And the second thing that came up for me is when you were talking about locate yourself, then grow. Typically the precursor to that. And, um, I'm going to apologize for the language is the precursor to locate yourself and grow is you now have enough life history to know the shit you're doing is not working and you need to do something else. Yeah. Sound familiar? Yep. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of my biggest questions right now is when you have your life get shaken up, when you're very aware of your own shit, Mm -hmm. you, there's an immediate reaction to kind of also it, it like try to help other people put on their masks too. And yeah. you're not even fully, I, I wasn't even fully healed yet, but I was wanting like, man, I'm feeling all this stuff, feeling all this stuff. I bet like other people need to see it too. Do they see it? Do they see, you know, I just went into that. So I've been very quiet 
for three years and my life was very public before that. And it, and I'm still in these very early stages of any of this, but I feel like I'm at least integrating better to a point where the conversations are the important part. If you were talking to me from a few years ago, I'd show up as trying to be an expert. That's one step ahead. This is very much me going, I'm totally in the middle but I'm so curious that I can't help but keep having these conversations. And yeah. that, that awareness of, of this, just this, the crap that you have going on. I'm wondering if there's any other way in other than pain and therapy. So can you answer that for me? I, well, so, so, well, so we have how long? No, <laughs> not sure we're going to have enough time. All right. So, um, let, let's talk about entry points, right? Pain and therapy. So, um, you and I had a great conversation when we were doing author hour, when the book emotional intelligence 3.0 got released. Yep. And the reason why, one of the main reasons why I wrote that book is to help others understand where those emotional openings happen that we can take advantage of. So that we're not, because the typical opening is something catastrophic that shakes us out of our ruts and grooves. And, and that's because we're so deep into protection. We're so deep into, you know, hands up, don't, you know, we figure out a way to survive and we're scared to change it because we know it's working for us. Mm hmm. And we are afraid that if we change something, if we hear something new or um, somebody has a different idea from us, that may make it unsafe. And so it really oftentimes has to be something monumental to push us out of those ruts and grooves, because otherwise we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And so so if if you have an emotional opening. Can be a catastrophic car accident a horrible health diagnosis. The death Talking of to a, a girl life. yesterday for this podcast and her entry point was a, a health thing. She started getting super dizzy in a time <laughs> of her life where she should have been at the height of her career. And she's yeah. going, why is this happening right now? That that's an invitation, hmm. right? Most of us mistake those um, opportunities as stuck points or we drop down into poor pitiful me. Can you believe this happened to me? If we reframed those things as an invitation to step into a larger system. Wow. How do I accept the invitation? And that's really what you just asked me about. Is there another way through something other than pain and therapy? Right. And, and it, it, it it's, one of the reasons why I created Emotional Intelligence 3.0 is every entry point has a tool. Right? Mm. There's a way to take advantage of those dynamics in a non-threatening way, right? That doesn't threaten our existence, doesn't activate the self-sabotage. Um, so, yes, it exists. Um, and that's a result in the way that you are a result of your family's dynamics, I'm a result of my family's dynamics. My dad was a psychologist, right? As you mentioned, I was, you know, we worked at all the kids worked in his office and I would watch people come 
sometimes for years. And in, in my seven-year-old mind, I'm like, well, they don't seem to be changing. Nothing seems to be happening here. Is there a better way to do that? Yeah. And that, that was my response, right? Emotional intelligence 3.0. What I'm excited about is this grand adventure you're embarking on and what the result of that will be. Cause I can assure you it's going to be magical. Hmm. Well, thank you for that. I, you said something on the conversation that never went live. So we get to bring it up here again because we have to talk about it. I think it fits so well. It's, it's just resonated with me, but you talked about grief and mm. people get, don't get permission to just mm. grieve something. And a lot of times grief gets associated with death, which death can be yes. an entry point, right? Loss of a mm-hmm. loved one or loss of someone close yeah. to you. But too often we don't associate it with death of a dream with death, like what in the health circumstance that might not be death, but you're going through stages of grief without realizing it. Mm -hmm. And maybe without other people encouraging you to sit there or, or consider that almost as like a red stoplight, you know, Mm -hmm. just for a minute and let that sink in. Is that maybe one of the first things to move into and as we're faced with these life situations like just appreciating almost or accepting that grief is is needed and is is okay to sit in so i don't know if you've watched any episodes of shrinking on apple tv i haven't but harrison ford um gets gets two of the folks he does it himself Every day he sets his timer for 15 minutes and puts on the saddest music he knows. And he just grieves as hard as he can for 15 minutes. Right. I think that's so beautiful because we don't do that. And for me, um, yeah, so I, I put it in terms of an emotional scrap heap that sits right, you know, from right below, right, you know, where our throat is down through our belly. Right. And in that emotional scrap heap, is all of those things we never process. And we talk about grief, but really what it is is transition, right? And I feel like there's two grades of transition. The first grade of transition is um, my car dies and I need a new one. My washing machine dies and I need a new one. It's the first day of school, right? And so so those, those are things to process, but they don't have the same effect on us And that's why there's the grade two grief, which comes from the transition that is that reframes my identity. There's something that happens to me that makes me rethink who I am. Like when my mother died, I was an orphan. Right. I no longer had two living parents. Yeah. Which made me re. And my friend calls that the it puts you into a new identity labyrinth. Isn't that a beautiful way to see it, right? Yep. Um, and and so when these when these grade two grief things, transition things happen to us, if we don't have a way to process it, grief, I think grief is one of the most powerful things in the universe because it will stop us in our tracks and can freeze us in place for years. We don't understand how to process it. You say freeze us in place. That's what's been fascinating to process personally because of when COVID hit the dynamics of it's so loud. Everyone has opinions. Everyone is the communities 
now in chaos. My spirituality's in chaos. The reason I moved to the state I live in, where I met my wife, religion has this way of being not just a sector in my life, but it ends up being, oh, that was the whole thing. And just seeing that clearly and going, it wasn't like it was a sliver. It had all these roots into my entire identity. So you have the loudness and then you have the deafening silence of COVID hits and you don't know how anyone else is processing it. You have no regular, you know, the, the, the beauty of church is that a Sunday is always, you know, a week Mm -hmm. away. So you're going to see the same people. There's no cadence of that anymore. And years pass. And there was just, Oh man, if I don't start doing kind of my own work or figuring this out, the grief stages and dealing with all that was inside, it's like, I don't know. This just could be an indefinite period of time. COVID may yeah. just, you know, go into infinity. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, so as you're describing this to me, it feels like so within within these two grades of grief, yeah, are their own shades, right? And what it feels like you experienced is sort of that, you know, other. Prior to death, right? So death is like, you know, that's it. Our identity is gone. But, you know, is there something else that can happen before that? That for me, I call the shattering of the identity. Shattering, yeah. And and it feels like so many facets, um, I don't like the terminology blew up, but fell apart, fell away, right? Shattered, that you're left with, oh, who am I? Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just my parent died. So this little it, it's like what happens to people who are caught in natural disasters. And you think about New Orleans, right? Their people's whole lives were wiped out. Right. And the grief that comes with that. Just it's so overwhelming. And when I hear you talking about what happened to you, it feels very similar to that. Right. All these different elements of your life just sort of, um, you know, were wiped out by one hurricane or one tornado. And there you are. And well, who am I without these things? It's interesting that you say it that way, too, because what I'm feeling internally is. I had never fully thought through how much of I I didn't actually know what my identity was. It was just this. And it goes back. I can use a really easy kid example, but I remember being in middle school and my parents being, they're very loving, but kind of frustrated when I'd come home from school because school was very hard for me. Like formal education was not, not Benji's strong suit. Let's put it mildly. So (laughs) I would come home and they'd ask me how my day was. And my answer was, I don't know. And that carried for a really, really long time into Mm -hmm. my adult life. In fact, it's something I'm still even processing now where I'm going, okay, that answer, I don't know, got me out of a lot of inner thinking. What's actually going on? So then when you have how you described it, the shattering of identity, it, it, it was almost more of a, okay, well, did I have an identity in the first place or did I find it in just my community or in the approval of others? And so the invitation has been a a nice one, but one that I also like, I just wasn't ready for because I had never realized it was a pretty shallow, in in some ways, a shallow identity. 
Well, so so Benji, you know, you're touching upon the premise of emotional intelligence 3.0, right? That's why the you're here. Rule, right? Yeah. The the unwritten rule of, and before you were even born, you know, it's oh, it's a boy. He can do this. He can follow in his father's footsteps. Or, you know, we did, unfortunately we did it to our own children, right? Oh, you know, maybe they'll be tall like their dad and be basketball players or volleyball players or yeah. whatever, right? So before the child ever even arrives, we've hung an identity on it. So the child never, it, it, in your youth, it's very difficult for you to find what I call true nature, right? That true nature is um, the essence that you came here to be. And I, I truly believe that we all come here, there's a place only you can fill and there's something only you can do. The problem is we're so bad at discovering that because dad says you got to go to college and major in economics. Mom says you have to go to law school or dad says that you have to get a job right out of high school because they're not paying for college, right? I mean, there's, there's all these things, all these dynamics at play that we are subject to. And so um, the fact that you are searching for this now, and one of my favorite idols, Dr. Hollis, um, he talks about the clients he attracted. And he said that, and, and really what people came to him when the system they were in no longer worked for them. That, you know, that's my language is, you know, like that, that, right, you run, you, you have enough life history to know what you're doing is not working. Or there's a larger system calling and you don't know how to get into it. So you blow your life up trying to exit. I don't want people to blow their lives up, right? I want, I, uh, there are other ways. But he would talk about the people who showed up to understand their new, their true nature instead of the adapted identity. And he said, most of the people were in their 50s and 60s. He had a couple of people in their 70s and 80s, very few people in their 40s almost never anybody in their 30s, because unless there was some catastrophic event that confronted a person, you have to wait for there to be enough life history. And we like to do the same things over and over and expect different results. Somebody defined that as insanity. I forgot who it was, right? But we keep showing up doing the same thing, expecting different results. And then one day we realize, maybe in our 40s, maybe in our 50s, ah, you know what? I have to do something different to get a different result. And then people will go to therapy for that. And I'm, I think therapy is very helpful for a lot of people, never served me well, which is why I created all of these simple tools to help people move from the adapted identity to true nature. And your, the values conversation that, that you're having is one of those, that is the first step to me, mm -hmm. right? To rediscover the true nature of who I am, I start with values and what I deeply care about. So interesting. There's so many places we could take that. I, on the, on the values front, I will say there was just a number of things that lined up. I had followed Ryan Holiday for a long time in his mm -hmm. work in Stoicism, and there's core tenets of stoicism that are essentially values, they're virtues, right? The core virtues of stoicism. You can go look at those and it's just, it's super simple. But if you're just, if you want to adopt those as your own, you can easily do that. You can go look it up and get into this new system. For me, it was more, 
I understand the structure that can come from something like that. So I yes. understand why that would work. Then I was yes. reading Benjamin Franklin's, uh, his, yes. his yes. biography. Yes. He tracked his, his values for years or his virtues. I think he had, he had a lot. He had more than I would I recommend. Think he had more 13 than you would or, recommend. Yeah. 13 or 15. How do you keep track of that every day for years on end? I do not know, but it brought it up again. Then I, you know, have had these conversations with you and several others who've talked about the importance of, of values. So there's, there's kind of a few different stages in the, the core value conversation that I want to talk about because there's, mm-hmm identification, implementation, some sort of, maybe you call it a review process or going back and saying, am, am I actually you know, mm-hmm. doing this yes. well? Mm-hmm. And then there's a revising that I'd also like to hit on. I haven't quite got there yet. But when it comes to identification, I, I'll give you credit. You created this, uh, these cards and I have sent that to several people now and been like, Hey, this is, you know, just a great resource. And they have given me an amen on that. So thank you for that as a starting place. Uh, talk through why identifying these values is in your mind, the first step, because people are wired so differently that it made a lot of sense to me, but it doesn't necessarily just resonate with everybody. So part of that not resonating with everybody is where they are in the spiral, totally. the development spiral of emotional yep. well-being. Um, in the very beginning and in the middle, I'm going to think values are a con game. Mm. So I, you can tell me until you're blue in the face, I need to find them, but I'm I'm not in a place to hear you, right? And so part of part of the work that I've done is when can someone hear this conversation? And part of that is when anger has subsided enough that there's space for something else. When the emotional scrap heap is so filled with anger, I'm so angry there's no room for anything else. So a lot of times the first thing I, the first thing I have I'm working with my coaching clients is we have to soften the anger to make room for something else. So when we can make room for that, the first place, um, uh, so anger clouds everything, right? And so what I, the conversation I love to have is you've been told who you are. How do you figure out who you are without any other voice in your head, right? Because there's tons of voices. There's your There's your school teachers telling you, you should do this. You have an aptitude for that. There's the guidance counselor at school telling you, you should do this. There's your parents saying, I don't care what you do, but you got to make money and be self-sufficient, right? And so sorting through all of those voices, trying to keep all of those people happy can be maddening. So the first step is, wait a second, what do I care about? Not what does mama care about? Not what does the church care about? Not what does the, you know, does my um, sewing group or my book club care about? What do I deeply care about? And that's the values. Those values are the things that you honor every day from the deepest and truest parts of who you are. They represent what you care about. There's two sides to it. So there's the anger that you mentioned, anger clouding everything. I also think there's this, and 
this may be a contributing factor to why you see people wait till their 50s, 60s, like you were mentioning. Comfort clouds everything as well in another way. You're, and that's why I brought up the pain right from the get-go. Because you, I no longer feel tempted to... I'm not, I'm never going to push values on someone, right? If someone asks what's been helpful to you in your journey, I'm going to bring up the fact that values have been extremely helpful. I'd say that and writing my own eulogy were probably the top two things that have helped wake me up. But there, there is an element where you, you hope for others that they're the way you're living even, or the, the way, you know, it will make the comfortable uncomfortable and make the uncomfortable more comfortable. Like that's sure. so I I wonder how comfort kind of also so often clouds our judgment and and that might just go right back in the circular what we we're well, talking about. Well, I before. love that you called that out. Hmm. Because comfort, right? Those are the ruts and grooves. Yeah. Right. I'm comfortable. I, I I've figured I've figured life out, right? I've got a good salary, got a good spouse, got two kids, own a house, or, you know, I'm traveling. I don't ever want to be married. I live in a good place that makes it easy for me to travel. I have the money to do it. Where's the, where's, where's the inspiration to do anything different? There isn't. And that is why that, that discomfort is always a calling, an invitation. Oh, something's not working here. Let me just go to work and do the same thing a little bit harder and maybe today it'll work, right? And what we know is it's not about effort. It's about usually when you start to experience that discomfort, I say that the the North Star within you is awoken and is calling. We want Benji to do what he came here to do and where the path he's on, it's not going to happen that way. So then from there, what's the, what's the main, when, when someone's working on getting this refined, you could look up online and you find hundreds of values or virtues or, Mm -hmm. so then people get, and I I fell in this camp, slightly overwhelmed. How do you even pick? How do you refine it? The Mm -hmm. way you explain it with your deck of cards even is which ones resonate the most with you. You're dwindling it down, dwindling it down and you're landing on, I think, max of four or five there. Right. But is, is that the main sort of pushback is people just don't know how to refine or feel like, Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't describe me well enough. Well, how do I, you know, how do I fit into this? Yeah. You can get caught in the loop. And and part of that is I want to do it right. No, this is an experiment of who you are and there's no right or wrong. There's just, is this true for me? Right. Because what might be your value may not be somebody else's and they may judge you and want you to have their value. No, this is what's true for me. And so, you know, over on Tommy Lama, we have the 10 steps to happily ever after. And that first step is discovering your top five values. And in that, we talk about the ways to narrow it down. First of all, there are um, families of values, right? So what these values are, is us trying to actualize in the world one of the six high six virtues. And I think we've talked about the high six, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, some guys got together, wrote a book, studied all the cultures, all the religions, whatever, for the past 3,000 years and decided that all of these cult- cultures honored the same six virtues. And what a value is, is you trying to honor that virtue in the world. 
And so sometimes what we do is we say, connect that back to the virtue. And so for, for instance, um, one of the virtue, high six virtues is wisdom, right? And you'll see people have learner, knowledge, wisdom, truth, which is a, which is a form, right? So those are all families, right? Another one that we see often is, is the humanity, love, community, relationship, right? Being of service, right? So um, all of these values can, can lump together, right? In a family that's us trying to actualize one of those virtues. And so one of the things you have to do is get to what's underneath it. What is it you're really trying to do here, right? Um, and you mentioned this about revisions. You you said, you know, how do you get to re- revising? What happens with our values is it's unlikely you're going to pick five and those are going to remain the same across the arc of your life. And part of that is there are um, versions of values that are higher order, right? And so you you may you may select the lower order value in the beginning, but as you evolve and drop deeper into the truth of who you are, you're going to see that value differently and it will change. Like for me, when I first started out, um, I grew up in a family where I felt betrayed a lot. So um, integrity meant a lot to me. And then as I as I moved along in my own evolution, that shifted to authenticity. If I'm being authentic, if I show up and be who I am, I'm in integrity with the universe and myself. Right. So that's that's also right across time. Values will shift. Um, Another way to look at your values. And I'm wondering if you have any of these. Sometimes we pick an outcome instead of the actual value. Right. Um, like I love efficiency and effectiveness. And if you ask my family, they'll go, oh, she wears us out with her efficiency <laughs> and effectiveness. That's not the value, though. That's the output. The value is wisdom. If I am wise and apply knowledge in wise ways, I'm going to be efficient and effective. So it, that's the outcome of wisdom. Like so when people... um uh, I was trying to think I had someone do this the other day and they had four values that very clearly to me were an outcome of um, uh, financial well-being. Interesting. Right. Success, achievement. There were there were. And, and so we started talking about it and I said, well, you know, these feel like they're all rooted in, in financial well-being. And, and, and then as soon as I said it, the person got it right. Yeah, you're right. If I have financial well-being, I have these other things. So uh, sometimes it's drilling down and, you know, that happens only with time, right? Time is your best friend spent with these values, looking for what, what do I deeply care about? You brought up the integrity journey that you, you kind of went on. I'm coming at it from a bit of a different perspective because that's been a word that has been highlighted to me. I like the use of integrity specifically as a word to think about it. I don't know why, but I think maybe because I I think in images, honesty is something I'm trying to work on. I actually don't have it as one of my five, but when I say that the the language I use on the podcast is shiny uh, or not shiny, but bright. And Mm -hmm. so often there was a, a need to show up in a way that would be approved. And so what would happen is, 
I could figure out how to project or mirror back what was happening in the environment, Mm. but I wasn't actually living with integrity. And it might not necessarily have been these big, you know, moral failings that I'm hiding, but that's stuffing my true self. And so then the longer you do that for the more dug in you are and the harder it is to even find where that true nature is. And so integrity and honesty have become a big part, even of why I would jump into something like this is just going, okay, well, being the same person everywhere you go and having, you know, this oneness (laughs) that, that you're okay with living into matters Mm -hmm. a ton to me now in light of the last few years. And so I, I'm glad you said that because we come at it from different ways, but authenticity, integrity, those are things that, that matter greatly. Yeah. So, so two things came up for me as I was listening. One, um, is this, is my method going to work for you? I have no idea. (laughs) Every journey is individual, right? I know this is what worked for me. Um, I've seen it work with my clients, but do I know all the answers? Every day, the universe reminds me, I do not know (laughs) all of the answers. Right. Um, and you know, the, 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 the second piece of, of all of that is, um, we need to reframe the journey of life. It's an experiment. And we're going to get some things, some things are going to, we're going to understand greatly and some things we aren't. And we need to stop chastising ourselves for the things that we don't understand. Grace, right? That's the the entry point, grace um, of, well, I messed that all up. Then I start laughing, right? (laughs) Um, Because I am an imperfect human and So I I feel like we don't do a good job of giving ourselves space to figure out who we are because the world's busy telling us who we are. And then we don't give ourselves the grace we need while we're figuring out who we are. Mm, I like that. And it's, it is so true that coming to a place where I'm even okay with past versions of myself, that's a day to day exercise, right? You wake up some days and you're like, Oh my God, I hope no one ever finds that one thing I said one time online <laughs> or doesn't remember that conversation where I had the exact opposite worldview than I have now. But yeah, then so, you, yeah. yeah, yeah, you get, well, you have grace. Yeah. Well, you know, Benji, I have a, I have a journal underneath my bed that my husband has been ordered to burn upon my death that no one should open it and read it and see how petty <laughs> I've been in my life. Right. Um, yeah, just, just don't want anybody to see that. So, so Benji, like you, I grew up in religion. Um, I think one summer I won every award every week for the most Bible verses memorized at Awana. Right. Yep. And, um, and then I um, got to the point where I um, rejected religion and felt like it wasn't um, a place I, as a different person, was well received. I'm not, I'm not your, none of us are, we're all unique. Um, some of us more unique than others. I fell in that more unique category and, and struggled to find acceptance. And, and religion was not a place that I found it. And so I really rejected all that from my youth. But what I've come back to is 
who is my role model for aligned in word, thought, and deed? And it's Jesus. Hmm. And I, I do, I feel like, I feel like I do not have to believe in Christianity to accept him as a role model of a person who modeled um, authenticity and integrity in word, thought, and deed. That's a well put way of saying that. I've heard a couple of teachers I really admire say our journey uh, spiritually and honestly, any of the stuff that we're talking about today can go from simplicity to complexity and then back to simplicity. Mm -hmm. And when you're integrating or you're working to live in harmony, there's this realization that use to use the analogy you were using when things shatter and there's so many pieces everywhere, it looks so complex and you look back and you go at one point, this was so simple. This came from a place of good faith. This came from a place of something in me trying to grow. So, but now I can't see that at all. And as I've gone, I, I think, you know, years have are passing. And then I'm kind of looking back and it's probably going to continue to evolve. But I, fe- I sense some of that return to simplicity. The way I've described Jesus, because I, I agree with, with some of what you're saying. The hard, hardest part for me has been when you are so baked in it, even though now I know Jesus has said really compelling, good things, or as a role model, I can sort of get myself to imagine, yeah, good role model. But I hear everything that Jesus ever said through the words of all of these people that and to untie that is taking years. (laughs) And so to allow the grace that we've been talking about for me to journey away from what I heard for 30 years and go, whatever time you need, if you return to some semblance of simplicity and role models, and even, you know, we could go down a whole nother train with the complexity of my view of church, but there's, there's an ability to give grace to all of it in moments where I'm feeling really healthy, but it's really hard for me to pick, pick up and and hear Jesus through a new lens. Like, honestly, I hear truths that he communicated through Buddhism (laughs) (laughs) and you need that season too. Right. But I love how you were putting that. I love how you were putting it. I want to try something on these episodes. So I'm calling a timeout. I'm going through the episode and editing it, listening back to things that were said, and also feeling like maybe I should add additional uh, thoughts here. And so I want to do that right now at this portion. You're listening to this conversation. I don't know, you know, where you're listening from or your experience. And if we're friends or family, and maybe you've been far away and you don't know my journey, this even hearing some of this could be a lot. When we're talking about seeing truth or understanding things deeply, seeing things from a different perspective, I've found it really valuable to read outside of what I was comfortable reading before. And I would say one of the top frustrations I have is when you have a set of beliefs in your head and you go like, okay, so in order to learn and grow, I'm only going to read from people that will reaffirm these beliefs. 
which it's really, that's really prevalent in church is, you know, we want to be, we want to be learners, but then we'll only read from theologies that neatly align with what we already think. And so the last few years have been a journey for me in that to go. When I hear Jesus, when I listen to podcasts or read books that more align with who I was, you know, a few years ago, it just sounds repetitive. It sounds like things I've always heard. And so I had to take a break. And if I want this podcast to be anything, I want it to be permission to do that. If you need to, uh, to get really truthful with yourself and to also think about how am I challenging the way I'm thinking currently? And could there be things outside of the way that I currently think that I'm, you know, whether it be in my case, it was reading Alan Watts or uh, Eckhart Tolle, these listening to podcasts on stoicism, because there's certain truths. Like I would say this, the fruit of the spirit is so beautiful to me. First Corinthians 13 and how that defines love. So beautiful to me. And those truths stay true when you're reading other content, even if they don't have the same words that you grew up with. And when it all kind of ties back to these undercurrents of love and empathy and patience, and you, you start to see, Oh, there's something going on here. That's deeper. And that's been really helpful for me, for me. So when I hear a, a Bible story that I've heard my whole life, it's easy for me to either uh, hear it the way I've always heard it to now with some pain, hear it through a lens of like hurt, which I'm working on. Right. But if I hear it in a different context, it kind of reaffirms like things that those stories are trying to say to me that it's been harder for me to hear. And so that's what I was driving at, at this part with Tommy. And I, just wanted to stop and kind of say that if what learning looks like to you, if what growing looks like to you is I can only read in this theological bubble, I'm looking for things that affirm what I already think. I'd be careful on that. And I've been there, but that's one of my biggest things now is like, now we can ask questions that seem out of bounds and we probably shouldn't just have answers. Like, people that think they have all the answers. Well, if you have all the answers, you didn't, you don't need faith. Right. I wrote this in uh, my journal last thing, and then we'll dive right back into the conversation. But I said, I left the Christianity of my youth because it promised and promoted assurances. It really had no business providing. I believe faith is beautiful yet in order to be beautiful, there is an element to that that must remain unseen and unknowable. That's what keeps people coming back. What makes it provocative. And if anything, for me in this season with faith and spirituality and what I'm reading and the content I'm consuming, I'm going, I want to see a more full picture and I want to feel deeply these truths that do resonate under all things. And so with that, maybe that's better context for you. Let's dive back into my, my chat with Tommy. Yeah. I, I was I was reading something the other day and the woman said 
Just because I like vanilla ice cream doesn't mean I have to hate chocolate. Just because I'm spiritual doesn't mean I have to hate Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I actually believe that the root of, of most religions was to help us grow, was transcendence. And what yeah. happened is, as is the, the common human way, we controlled and manipulated it to get our to have our needs met instead of allow it to be the um, beautiful. The, 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 excuse me for a second. Something's ringing over here to be the beautiful music that it was supposed to be in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that transcendent transcendent include is how I've heard it said. Yeah. And yeah, you can't transcend and then judge really. It's very hard. You can see the broken systems and admit that we're all broken people, but yeah, you transcend and include. Otherwise, you're probably not transcending. Well, well that's an excellent point. Tell me more about that. <laughs> uh, I don't remember. It might be Richard Rohr who said that. And I've just latched onto that because it's so easy to remember. But another good way of saying it that recording yesterday we were talking about, but you start on one side of the street and then you find yourself through life circumstance, through pain, through whatever it is, all the stuff we've been talking about, you find yourself on the other side of the street and you go, how did I ever stand over there? And it's hard to see it. And the first inclination you have is to start judging your the old version of yourself or anyone that you still see standing within a, a different view. And so then you just become the same thing you were on the other side of the street, but just with a new perspective, right? And so you haven't really transcended. You've just stayed where you are and you're but you're you're you now have different words that you use. That's the best yeah. way I can put it. And that's the last thing that I want. Like I didn't I don't want to start a podcast that's going to get into different theologies and different, you know, I, I I would rather say I honor and respect all former versions of myself. I honor and respect so much of the church and people trying to to grow and doing the best with what they have, but simultaneously knowing it felt like there was something I had to leave to go do. And it felt like I got pushed out the door and I mm-hmm. didn't like getting pushed at first. I didn't like the shattering. And mm-hmm. now I'm kind of cool with it. And I'm just going, if we're not vulnerable and we're not, we're not living with integrity and we're not aligned, then that's a really crappy way to live. So I'm going to be as honest as I can be with where I am in the messy middle. And I'm also going to invite others to do that because that's the only thing I can do is give an invitation and be a temptation for people to live more full. And let the rest kind of fall where it will. But to me, yeah, transcendent include like too many people. You don't get the uh, approval or the acceptance to grieve and they sit in it and they get angry. And then that kind of is it. I had a bad, bad flavor or whatever, bad taste in my mouth and I'm done. And uh, that's... I surrender, right? We surrender yeah. and mm. we just give up. And you 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 brought up the same. So in, in emotional intelligence 3.0, there there really are two things we've got to work work with. Let's hear One it. is the anger, right? The other is resistance. And what you just what you just talked about was so beautiful in terms of not resisting. So you talked about you honor all versions of yourself. 
I want to. I will say that. Well, you know, sometimes it, t- it takes a little while to my... get. Uh, it takes a little while to get there. I plan You're on being on, on my journey for the rest of my life, Thomas. But don't well, put me that's... ahead of where I am. <laughs> We're right there together, walking arm in arm. Um, yeah, but what happens? One of the one of the mandates of systems is that everything gets to belong just as it is. And we are so bad at that. We marginalize people left and right. And and that's because we're busy. We don't know how else to do it. We're trying to stay safe. And so it's either you or me, and I'm going to choose me. So I'm going to marginalize you. And this resistance, though, is um, we don't allow things to belong as they happened. Right? Resistance is... Oh, I hated when that happened. I I don't want to remember that. I don't want to talk about that. That's you dishonoring the mandate of belonging, and that creates symptoms. Now, so I tell people we have to accept it. And somebody goes, Well, that sounds like I'm, you know, people are walking all over me. And I'm like, No. When you accept instead of resist, because acceptance, Resistance, letting go of resistance first requires accepting something the way it happened. And then it's about allowing it. And and I had a client say to me, well, that feels like by accepting, I'm letting people walk all over me. And I said, oh, no, I can accept the way something was and still not like it. My acceptance of it is saying I can't go back and change it, but that does not mean I have to like it. And so with resistance, not only are we not liking it, we're, we don't even want to, you know, it always reminds me of um, uh, Harry Potter, he who shall not be named, right? <laughs> they were still allowing him to belong. They just wouldn't say his name, right? <laughs> I I think of that in the phrase, you were doing the best with what you had. That's exactly. been so helpful to me. You know, really, you think that? You could go back and with what you knew, you would have been able to somehow fumble into the wisdom or the the thoughts that you, you have now. I like allowing your life to be what it was as, as a story unfolding and knowing there's, you just never are going to know everything. There's things I've probably said in the last 45 minutes with you, Tommy, that I'll listen back to three years from now and I'll, I'll cringe at. And that's the, that is growth. That's, that's realizing that stuff happens and life happens and living in you know a state of having open hands is very 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 hard that's why to me i keep i'm trying to keep bringing that phrase back but in there's so many times like i'm i want to go clean up all my social channels so people can't find videos of me preaching or i want to like people that you know image management trying to still stay in good graces with people that see the world vastly different than me and all of that that stuff comes up as I, that word you use resistance it's it's a a good way of phrasing it well you you just touched upon something extremely powerful about image cleanup right um, I, I love uh, my youngest, uh, who's now 27. So I have two boys, 30 and 27 years ago. My youngest said, you know, mom, you should run for president. And I just threw my head back and laughed. And I was like, ha, Warren, if the skeletons that'll fall out of the closet, when they open that door is just not worth it, sweetheart. Right. Yeah. And so, but, but, but what, it's just the same thing as you're talking about. 
we don't give anybody grace and believe they might have changed from something they posted a decade ago. Right. And we're going to hold them to that ugly, bad image, regardless of whether they've changed or not. Right. You think about Will Smith at the Oscars. Right. The echo of that moment's going to haunt him because we don't know how to extend grace and, and let people learn and move on and grow. Yeah. No, we don't. You're you're the same person you were 12 years ago. We know it. The only way out in that situation is is through it. And what I mean by through it is you you get to you get to choose to to expose yourself in some ways. Like, yes, you got to use your brain and use wisdom on on how you go about that and not everyone needs to know everything. But I think specifically when it comes to public image and things that you've said in the past or stuff that you've done in the past or the things that I cringe at now, I don't know if other people would cringe at it, but the 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 way I'm thinking about it, I, there's a Eminem was in a movie Eight Mile years back, and that there's a rap battle at the end of that movie where he goes first, and they're supposed to be making fun of each other clearly, and he just literally instead of making fun of the other guy for two and a half minutes, even after the music stops, keeps going on and on and on about all the, his situation, his life. And he takes all the words out of the other guy's mouth. And like now that that guy has nothing left to say. And I think that's, that's part of coming clean on certain things and showing that evolution is, is learning a certain level of self-awareness where you're like, Oh, Okay. This is the, I have lived this life and I have made the decisions that have landed me here. And that's that like, (laughs) it's so hard, but it's, it's, it seems like the only way out is through. Yes. Ownership. What I hear you saying is ownership. I have not always liked my choices. So they brought me here and here's a pretty magnificent place. And I really don't want to be anywhere else. So I'm going to own those choices. And, you know, one of the things that I do, Benji, at night is, you know, I I ask for forgiveness from all of the world for any slights that I may have engaged in that I am not aware of. I don't need to know if I slighted you. I want to give you, I want to extend my apologies and I I invite you to forgive me. Hmm. I like that. That's a good practice. Even coming to a place of humility where you're quick to ask, not saying sorry from a place of trying to, you know, a jerk reaction, but there's right. a, there's a genuine place that it can come from where you can sense your own tone and just, Hey, if this yeah. came off wrong, I want to be quick to, to that. Yeah. Going back to some of what we were talking about on values, cause I have a, a, a few more questions here, Sure. but I want to talk about implementation specifically because okay. One of the common things I've heard is, and, and I'm going to ask you this, which obviously I know you've written your values, but I'm asking every guest. This is just a preview. There's some questions I'm going to ask that will not be included in the the public podcast when this goes live. And so I ask every guest these recurring questions, and I'm going to create episodes in the future around those questions. But one of them is about creating core values and how do you return to those? And I haven't gotten an answer so far where people understood how to review and Mm. implement like how do i once i have these identified know if i'm living into these things and how often Mm. am i going back to them and are you like that's that's sort of where i want to go for a few minutes here is great you got your four or five values written down but 
what does it look like to actually implement those into your life regularly? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just talk, speak to that. Sure. How do you live aligned with those in the world? Right. Right. And so, um, so first of all, great question. Um, very thoughtful question. Um, and so in my world, there's something we joke. My kids, you know, my, my friends and kids and my husband, they'll always be, when they ask a question, they'll be like, mom, don't say it. We know there's a tool for this, right? <laughs> I built all these tools. And so my favorite, there's a tool for that. <laughs> and um, the tool I have for this is called the Talent DNA Guide. And what the talent now, Benji, I think I shared with you in our first podcast, I wanted, I wanted to include all of these tools in the book, but it was going to be 600 pages long. And they said, Tommy, you just can't. Nobody's going to read that, right? So, so I have all these tools. And the Talent DNA Guide does a series of things that teaches you how to live, how to live in alignment with the, with the two facets of yourself, values and strengths, Right. And so what we do with the values piece is first you discover those five and that's a journey, right? The second thing is once you understand um, your values and, and we tell people, observe yourself for six months, ask your family and friends, what do you deeply care about? What do they see that you move in the direction of? Then we have a worksheet where we ask you to decide and to consider whether you're using that value as a tool or as a weapon. And it's a tool against a tool or a weapon with others or against yourself. And I, I use this example because it's really, I never realized I was using wisdom as a tool against my husband um, for a long time. And it, it, it actually happened one Sunday afternoon. So my husband, Jim, loves the scenic route. Now, somebody who appreciates wisdom and efficiency and effectiveness doesn't want to go the scenic route ever. And so one Sunday afternoon, uh, my husband and I and our two sons, Shep and Warren, are in the car and we're going to get ice cream. So Sunday afternoon, going to get ice cream. How lazy can it be? And my husband goes straight at the intersection. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And Jim's like, what? I said, you should have turned left. That's the fastest way. And and like immediately both kids turn and look at me and say, we're just going to the ice cream store, mom. We don't have to go the efficient and effective route. And I got quiet and that resonated inside of me for about three days. As I reflected on all the times in our marriage, I had tried to impose efficiency and effectiveness on someone who did not care about it. And how much tension and conflict that had created for us. By trying to enforce a value. So that's me using it as a weapon, right? Me using it as a tool is me creating all these tools that allow you to be efficient and effective as you discover who you are. And one of the places that I find people using a value um, uh, as a weapon against themselves is usually something like be of service or generosity. And what happens is you will see people give and give and give and give and give and give. And one day they wake up and they're just mad at the world because they've given so much of themselves and really not gotten anything in return. And they're angry about it. And so when I look at people's values, I'm helping them discover their their top five. You know, I'm looking for those that they that are easy to use as a weapon against yourself. 
So one of the worksheets is, are you, you know, are you, are you using your values as a tool or as a weapon? The second worksheet that's in that packet is um, boundaries. When we get angry, it's usually because something we value um, has been infringed upon. And we don't understand that anger is actually a warning signal. And so each of your values. So for me, if you take my value of freedom uh, and turn it into boundaries, it means um, and, and we start with really simple boundaries because most people have never built any They're that, you know, they don't know how to do it. So so we take those values and we turn them into simple boundaries so that they can build the complexity from there. So when I say I like freedom, I'm like, oh, that's one of the reasons why I find it hard to work inside of an organization from eight to five. If I want to go have a two hour lunch with my friend, I'm going to go have a two hour lunch with my friend. And that's me honoring the freedom to make my own choices. And so you have to build those basic boundaries with those values. And we, we do it three things. Given this value, what will I allow in my life? Or what do I like in my life or don't mind? Two, given this value, what will I tolerate but don't like? And given this value, what will I not allow in my space? Right? So create taking those values, creating simple boundaries. Um, and then this next one is probably one of my favorites. It's actually a way to make choices aligned with your values. And Susie Welch wrote a book called 10, 10, 10. And it's, you know, using your values to make decisions using, looking at the choice at 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10 years. And there's some science behind that because we want an instant gratification. So we will only think about the implications of the choice in the moment. But with that 10, 10, 10, it actually allows us to extend out um, and I'll give you an example of that. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, my child, my oldest son's car broke down. So I gave him mine to drive. And I was like, oh, I guess I got to get a new car. I've always wanted a Porsche Cayenne. Right. And so I tend, I did, I tend, tend, tend it. And I drive a car that's very efficient and effective, almost never breaks down, really just needs the gas really oil changed and tires rotated, right? The basics. Yep. And I'm reading up about Porsches and you know, all the time they're in the shop and you know they don't hold their value. And so I'm, I'm going, well, this is going to infringe upon my value of freedom in 10 months if I keep having to take it to the shop. And, um, you know, in, in, in 10 months, if I've had to spend a lot of money to repair it and I spend a lot of money to, to buy it, that's going to offend, you know, wisdom. It's not efficient. It's not effective. And so, you know, in 10 minutes, it made sense to buy it. I, I love one of my values is uh, adventure. Well, that car is an adventure. But in 10 months, it was going to violate way more values than honoring that one. And in 10 years, because I like to give my cars to my kids, nobody was going to want to take that. And if I made them take it, they were going to be mad at me for it. Mm. Right. So given all that I could see about my values and what was going to happen was buying a Porsche, a good choice for me. And the answer was no. Right. Great example. Yeah. I heard it explained as playing out the movie or yeah. my dad or the 24 hour rule. Those that's, yeah. that's an atomic habits principle. I think he probably yeah. got it from somewhere else, but yeah, if you're going to make a big decision. You sleep on it for 24 hours. That's another way of doing this, but playing out the movie is very similar to what you're yeah. saying, where just take this out to its logical conclusion, 
roll the credits. What happens at the end of this decision? Yeah. How does that car <laughs> get you through the next few years? What are the it was not <laughs> feeling that <laughs> it was mm. not right. Um, and so, yeah, I think th- those are those are the big ways that you live aligned with your values. The other thing that we invite folks to do, and this is on Tommy Lama, it's called the love fit, right? And we have a sheet where it has three columns. It has, you know, your top five values, your significant others, top five values. And then the in the middle is a box for you to explain how they align, they're similar, or they're different. Because you really want someone to travel through life with you who's going to honor the same things. And it not not 100%. Because I can, Jim and I probably, my husband and I probably share three values. But my top value is family. And his top value is loyalty. I'm going to be loyal to the family. And he's going to be loyal to the family, right? So even though they don't have the same word, the behavior, the outcome shows up in the same way. And so it's very powerful. You've had people say to me, your children, you know, seem to be very happily married. They're they're good people and they know what they're doing. Why? I said, because as soon as they were old enough, I handed them a deck of values cards Mm. and they figured out who they are and who they want to be. Yep. Yep. It's easier to relate when you know. That's that's the journey. I'm late to the game, so now I'm seeing all these crossovers. Oh yeah, and I say late, but when you're saying 50s and 60 year olds coming to you, I'm going. You were not all right. Late, Maybe right? I'm still early, but so hey, Benji, it's always right on time. It's always right on time. That's good. Okay, so a couple things came up there that I want to yeah. I want to go back to. First, let's do this. When it comes to choosing the uh, and getting that list of values down. My last question on that front is how aspirational are we thinking and how pragmatic kind of this is who I am naturally. So I'll give you an example would be when I, some of the words like honesty I brought up earlier, that's something very much that is, is a a trait that I am working on. I want, Mm -hmm. I want to be the same person no matter who I'm talking to. And I want to, come in with a level of integrity. But I did not include that in my five because I feel like that is aspirational and it's something for this season that I need to work on. And then, you know, whatever. Versus something like growth, that's always going to kind of tie back to wisdom. There is this... that If someone's describing me, many times that's something that comes up is I love to learn. So that one was an easier... I'm just wondering... Like, do we, do you naturally tell people pick things that just resonate internally with you right now and get that down to five or pick something that's a little bit of a challenge for you that maybe stands outside of where you are now? Does it not matter? I I don't know what aspirational versus choosing. Well, it's a beautiful observation, right? Because what happens is it's really important to select the things that you deeply care about now. Okay. Because aspirational already has you trying to be something you aren't. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to discover is who are you? Who's Benji in this precise moment? We can't, I think it's the, um, uh, the paradox of change says, um, you know, it, we change from within, not from without. 
So to, to begin the journey of change, we have to first know who we are in this very moment. And once we understand that and we deepen into that, you know what happens anyway? We're going to naturally change. And that is so much more organic than selecting an inspirational or aspirational value of something I want to be. Well, you've been you've been your whole life being something else that somebody else wants you to be. So for me, it's very important to find the five that resonate in this moment. And as you develop and deepen into who you are, they're going to shift anyway. Okay. So then the other thing came up, it was, this is more personal. So I'll ask a selfish question again, but there's the weapon or tool and that's good framing of it. When I think of growth as a value of mine, there's an element that is absolutely true for that. But the the shadow side of it is that there's an, uh, a need or call it whatever you will that I want to grow to prove that I know. And that I say that because I mentioned earlier, right? If, if formal education wasn't my route, which is funny because I resonate a lot with stuff you say, but you're the opposite side of the spectrum. Let's go get all the certificates. Let's go back to school. Let's do the stuff. So I love that we're having this conversation, but we both definitely value wisdom. We both definitely value, you know, personal development and growth. But I can find the shadow side to me where I go, yeah, it's sometimes it's a tool because I definitely like leaning into it. But also it's it is a weapon. And usually it's against myself going, man, I need to prove that I know something. I need to pr- and and so are you kind of monitoring that internally, knowing there is a, a shadow side to these values? So there's usually values are usually something we didn't get in childhood. So it's a compulsion, right? It's a need or it's something that we loved so much from childhood and appreciated that we adopted, right? For me, uh, freedom is a value because we were so controlled as kids and I grew, you just weren't going to do that to me as an adult. And my my wisdom is a for years had been a compulsion, um, and it was, I, I, you know, I talk about this in the book. In my family, it wasn't safe to be stupid, and I was I had a learning disability, and so I became educated to prove to you and the world that I am not stupid. And I've struggled the last three years. Um, and what one of one person that I've read about this, on this topic says is you'll wake up one day and you'll no longer have the need to do it. I don't care if I read another book. I don't care if I go to another workshop. Don't care if I now I like to I enjoy those things. And if I feel like, oh, this is a good time to do that. That's a very different thing being than traveling the world and being compelled to get certifications and degrees. Yep. Right. So, so part of this is as you adopt these five values that represent who you are now, and as you work through the reason, which is, which is hidden, the reason why we have these values is going to be hidden from us until we start living into them. And as these things are revealed, we will deepen into a more balanced version of that value or find a different one. I appreciate you saying 
what you said about in your family environment, it wasn't safe to be stupid. I think the way that relates to me, well, you know, something can be spoken, but it, it's not necessarily reinforced by the community or your environment. So I, I wrote down, it wasn't safe to question. And so for me, that's where a lot of the shininess comes in is almost, I didn't, I didn't want to be stupid, but in like a religious setting or in a, so it's, Oh, don't question this. Even though I'm so curious by nature. I mean, look at my profession. I'm literally questioning people for a living and I love compelling thought provoking conversations that tempt me outside of my bubble. So seeing that and going, Oh yeah, that it makes sense. Even though it's communicated, Hey, you know, bring your questions, whatever. What's reinforced is, well, we already have a lot of these answers <laughs> or, you know, it was so it's, I, I I'm grateful for you putting it that way. I think that'll I, register with a lot of people too, listening to this. Yes, but we can't become who we are without those experiences. Absolutely. That's what we were right. saying earlier. Yeah. And so it's so beautiful to see you connecting these dots of how you got here, right? That you would not be this grand explorer in the game of life, but for the fact that someone told you don't question. It's almost, I, I hate to say it was, uh, you know, in the South we go, yeah, you told me not to question this, but here, hold my biscuit and watch this, people, right? <laughs> and then you go question everything, right? Oh, that's good. There, I, I'll bring it full circle here as we start to wrap up. Uh, there was a quote. I, so part of this whole healing, integration, transcend and include, all of it has been going back in and re-listening or seeing some of the things that I used to do. Mm-hmm. And there was a quote that I used in the last sermon. I think that I might, why? Well, so I, but it's a quote from actually from an Adam Grant book. And I love this quote and it so applies to the things we're talking about. But he says, as we gain knowledge about a domain, we become prisoners of our prototypes. Expertise can often become a blinder. And what resonates so deeply with me is we all have our life that we've lived and we have to have some of these moments, right? Because mm-hmm. we're all the pros. We, we have all the knowledge on our way of seeing the world. And hopefully what Tommy and I are talking about today is kind of helping you. It's definitely helping me take off my blinders a little Mm -hmm. bit and just go, okay, I don't have to be in, I'm not an expert in all of this stuff. I have my experience, Mm -hmm. but I sure have a lot that I'm curious about still learning, still growing in. And so I just, I think, uh, I'm so appreciative of of this type of of kind of candid conversation and and the back and forth on on values and boundaries and and all of this because it's uh you want people to live into you know the best version that of of their life that they can so and if if we'd if we'd already figured it out we'd be doing it wouldn't we oh yeah absolutely yeah, we, so we so we haven't so we're all just doing the best we can with what we have. <laughs> Well, Tommy, I have this recurring thing that I'm asking everybody that comes on the podcast and I'm calling it growth gauntlet. So what it means is you can give me a 
It's something to go try. It could literally be an experience. It could be a book that I need to read. It could be a food that I maybe have never eaten. I mean, it can be anything, but essentially what I'm using it is these are prompts for me to go kind of get outside mm-hmm. of my worldview or whatever it is and mm-hmm. just take on sort of one thing that you would challenge me to. So what would be something that uh, I could do to, to maybe expand my world a little bit? Firewalk. Firewalk? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, you know, I did that last summer. I got a certification in that. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved every second of it. It really expands your world and what you think you're capable of doing. Wow. Tell me really quickly here. What what did you go in super fearful? This is the first time you've ever done it or what what like what was the lead up to it? Oh, yeah. So um, my oldest brother um, belonged to the International Brotherhood of Magicians for like 40 years. Amazing. And, and we were always fascinated about what's the secret behind that. Right. And we I wanted to what's the secret behind firewalking people. Right. So I, I went I went to figure it out. So, wow, that was, well, I have it on my list now and I will look up firewalks in my area. I will report back. And at some point I am, I'm going to, I'm, I have a list, a growing list now. Uh, there's a book, there is an hour and 15 minute meditation I have to do. There is a restaurant I have to go try in Philly and now (laughs) I got to do a firewalk. So there you go. (laughs) I love, I love this. It's going to be really fun, but yeah, as my son says, pictures or it didn't happen, boss. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, if I'm doing a firewalk, Tommy, you're getting pictures for sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, well, this has been a privilege. Thank you for this time together, Benji. Absolutely. I think leaving this episode, there's so much I'm going to be thinking about. I love the the language you used of shattering of identity. I wrote that down. I'm just looking mm-hmm. at my notes right now. The the idea that anger or comfort can kind of cloud everything was something I I jotted down choosing things that choosing our values based on where we are right now, not so much thinking aspirationally and the way you framed that is something that'll stick with me. And then going at least just to see it, there's, there's a tool side of these, these values and there's a weapon side in at, mm-hmm. at least questioning on that a little bit, implementing this in that's the, the main thing too. Cause I'm sure at some point, people listening, you've done some sort of strengths finders, you've probably done an assessment here and there, but integrating these things and and taking time to allow yourself to see, you know, how are we, how am I trying to live into this and how is it showing up? And I I think that's so crucial. And I I love that we got to to speak to that too. Yeah. Thank you. And did, did I send you the talent DNA guide last time we talked? You know what? I'm not sure. I might have to go back and check. I'll just resend it if you're if you okay. if you'd like to see it that yeah for sure okay I'll send that, that to you wonderful yeah okay well that's it for this episode if if someone you know would like this conversation that Tommy and I just had I'm just asking maybe text it to one friend or put it on your Instagram story those are easy ways for people to to get access to this conversation and this content and again it's to me this is just a little. I know we use temptation in a negative sense, but I'm thinking temptation in a positive sense. This is temptation towards growth. It's an invitation. And that's all that it is. And that's why long form, but fun conversations towards growth. So uh, don't forget the best way to live is to look for what we have in common, not how you're right. The best way to live is open-handed, ready to evolve and learn. And we want to be not shiny, but bright. All right. Cheers, friends. 